We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. And welcome back to the Nano Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot, Paul and Tim, no, not Tim, Tim from 7am kickoff, uh, will be discussing the um, 2-0 victory away to Everton. Nice to be back to winning ways. Um, I do like this team that we're playing now as well, and um, I really enjoyed the performance. Yes, our opponents weren't very good on the day, but that was large part down to us, I thought. It's the same sort of team that went to Barcelona and played really well in Barcelona against arguably, argue, is it even an argument anymore? The best team in the world at the moment. But as happy I am with, with the two performances, I feel a bit frustrated that unfortunately we haven't been able to get this team out earlier than now. There's a few reasons for that, injuries and what have you. I do believe that if we had this team on the pitch a few weeks ago, we might be in a better position right now to be going for the title. So that, that's a big frustration, but we have to hope we win all our games. Yeah, I know that's a, that's a, that might be a long shot. Not holding my breath as such. That'd be a bad idea anyway. Anyhow, uh, enjoyed the performance and enjoyed the win. It's nice to win again. Let's keep winning. Winning's good. Losing isn't so good. Talking rubbish, as always. So I'm going to hand you over to the guys. Enjoy the podcast. And back after... Who are we playing against? Back after Watford. Comfortable 2-0 win away at Everton means title is back on. Arsenal now just eight wins away from their first title in over a decade. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, Before we get started this morning, we are recording 
uh, in the wake of the news about the Brussels attacks. So without getting too deep into it, I just want to say that I think I speak for all of us when we send our thoughts and prayers and horror and sadness to the families and friends and loved ones of the people affected by the attacks and to Belgium and to everyone worldwide who deals with this shit and that we hope that this will lead to an outpouring of love and respect and coming together and not the usual hatred and antipathy that this kind of thing usually breeds. So in any event, um, we just wanted to give a quick mention of that. And now we can get on with the podcast. Paul is here as always. You can find him on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Hello, Woo-hoo. Paul. Woohoo, indeed. And we are joined by Tim, except he's lost his accent. I have no idea what happened. No, it's actually a different Tim. It's Tim from 7 a.m. Kickoff. You've probably read his brilliant uh, analytics work on Ars Blog, where he writes the By the Numbers uh, column, but he also writes uh, a blog regularly that is just brilliant, and you should check it out. Tim, hello. Hi. My accent. Is over by Arteta's legs. Is it? <laughs> We've lost well, then it. I'm going to assume it's not coming, it's not coming back. back. <laughs> it's lost its usefulness. Um, it's been taken to a farm upstate. Um, okay, well, this is good. It's good to have you on in this podcast because we actually have some positive stuff to discuss, and it has been a bit of a while since we've had that. Um, Tim, since you're mm. new, I'll let you uh, kick it off. It looks like the manager, in the wake of some injuries and in the wake of a rough patch between January, February, and a little bit of March, has found a combination that he likes. What do you think of the lineup he used at Everton in general? Uh, I liked it. I liked Sanchez on the right. Because <clears throat> on the left, he'd become a little bit predictable with his dribbling, You know where he would cut back to the right every time. So um, on the right, he was, he was able to... Uh, I think put in some good crosses. I think he also was able to try to attack a little bit more and maybe given a little bit more freedom to um, get in behind people, which he hasn't been able to do very much because he's been carrying some of the uh, playmaking workload because Coquelin's been out. I mean, Cazorla's uh, uh, been out. So so it's kind of nice to see him give, get a little bit more freedom, a little bit uh, able to favor his, his strong foot a little bit more and... Um, attack down the right. So that was really nice to see him uh, playing on the right. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've always felt is that we could probably or potentially make even better use of him, giving him more space to come central because, you know, if you think about it, especially when he's on the left, you can use the, the sideline, right? As the touchline as another defender. And then he loves to just cut inside. It becomes very predictable. And I think it makes it easier to defend him one-on-one. Now, I know he attempts a lot of dribbles, and a lot of them are successful. He also loses the ball a lot. But when he's central, you don't have that touchline protecting you. And he can really go either way. It's a little more challenging. But the thing that that Alexis is actually very, very good at is playing through Mm. balls and slipping in players in behind in those little one-two touches around the box and he does that a lot for Chile and has been doing it less for us and I don't know if you noticed this but to me it looked like not only was he on the right but that there was a more concerted effort by him to drift into more central spaces than he had absolutely yeah Um, I was trying to pull up the through ball numbers on that and I don't remember them off the top of my head but you know the player who's surprises with those through balls is actually Joel Campbell he may be yeah he's excellent I know he may be even second best on Arsenal with with the uh, with that pass it's a, it's kind of an amazing amazing stat when you consider it, he's like a little bit shorter short of um, of Mesut Ozil or something like that he's been Ozil. he's been pretty good but it is it is Alexis actually who's second best with through balls almost almost won every other game so yeah do you think it's yeah go I ahead, was gonna sorry. say 
But the problem is, is that we don't have, if Alexis is playing the through ball, who's he playing the through ball to? So he's, so he's <laughs> usually playing it to a midfielder or, you know, one of the central, central midfielders like uh, Ramsey or somebody like that. So the, I would prefer if we had somebody else playing the through balls to Alexis. And I think that's what's been killing his, his scoring this season is not so much that, that, uh, that he's in terrible form, which he has been struggling with his shot. His, 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 uh, his finishing percentage is way down. But, but the fact that he's not able to make the runs behind and get those through balls to him, which, uh, which would be happening, again, if we had Cazorla in, in midfield. Right. You know, it, it, it also explains maybe why he's not as effective paired with Giroud as he is with someone like Welbeck, mm-hmm. because when he has Giroud there, he occupies the space that Alexis either wants to drift mm-hmm. into, and he doesn't make the runs that he would necessarily want to pass to. So maybe they're not as sort of synergistic in that respect, whereas Welbeck will make those runs, those darting runs in um, that, that Theo also would make when Theo was kind of playing well in the Novemberish, Decemberish range. Um, I just checked really quickly on whoscored.com, and it looks like Sanchez is comfortably second on the team behind only mm-hmm. Ozil in through balls. So, you know, definitely something he could be more effective with if he's given more central space and runners in front of him. Um, Paul, you know, another player that looks to have nailed down a, a first-choice position. Now, a lot of that may be down to injuries to Ramsey and Cazorla and things like that, but he's certainly doing his best to lay claim to it. Um is Alex Awobi. Do you think it's a little unfair on Campbell that, that Awobi's just taken this position? What do you make of that situation? I think it's uh, incredibly unfair on the human level. Um, Got to be... Uh, I mean, the problem with our team, if we're, A, got people fit and we're playing well, is that Arson isn't a big rotator at the best of times. So um, the only thing saving... You know, lots of tears has been just. We always seem to manage to find those those uh, injuries that that uh, give them something else to cry about. But yeah, it's very unfair on, on Campbell. Uh, on the other hand, um, and I agree. You know, I think we've all seen he is kind of the second playmaker on the field, making those triangles up in that corner. He's silky smooth. He scored that superb goal. Just a, a what seems like a couple of matches ago. I can't actually remember. It probably turns out it's 17 matches ago, the way time flies. But it seems like just a couple of games ago he scored a superb goal that kind of uh, got us going again. And yet here he is watching the games like the rest of us from the sidelines. Do you think any of this is inf- uh, the manager's decision is informed by the fact that he wants to put Alexis on the right to try to get him going, and he for some reason does not feel Joel can be moved to the left? Um, well, certainly, obviously, the, uh, the biggest part of that would be Joel does seem to be comfortable on the right. Um, I, I mean, I wonder if moving Alexis to the right is just giving uh, Bellerin more protection. Um because a will be on the left uh, gets to play in front of Monreal and and that it's more driven by a than Alexis because I think we've all seen the issue with Alexis on the left is Giroud. Um, I mean, we all like and respect what Giroud does, but we also recognize every time he plays. Let's let's not tar everybody with that. Yeah. Push, okay. 
<laughs> it seems like when Giroud and Alexis play, and Alexis is on the left, he's just kind of penned in there, and the defenders know what to do, and they're already set up to handle Giroud running his diagonals in that direction for his left foot, and it's just... They, they clog the middle to stop Arsenal playing through the middle, and it just stops Alexis when he cuts in onto his right foot. So the, I think the first piece of it is sticking Alexis on the right because you got fluidity with Welbeck, and that works. And then, you know, th- they prefer having Alexis on the right because <laughs> he covers Bellerin better than Iwobi might do. So it might kind of work in the opposite direction. Whatever it is, we end up putting out a very front-footed six. Front mm-hmm. six. When you look, I mean, if you look at that six against Everton, it was everything uh, I talked about before of hoping to see. You know, the first piece of that is Welbeck. When you add Web, Welbeck to Alexis, I see why you put a Wobi in there because he's the next kind of, off the bench, he's the next pressiest, front-footiest player we have for a front three. Uh, and, you know, that front six really went at them. It was just superb to watch. It wasn't mes- necessarily yeah. Everton's best performance, but I guess those things are inversely proportional to... to our- yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, I think the the that in the first half, we made them look pretty bad. I mean... The second half, you know, we can get to, but I, I also think it's going to be impossible to look at how we played in the second half without looking at it through the lens of having had to play at the new camp uh, in midweek. So it was always going to be in our best interest to really try to kill this game off in the first half, and we did that. Tim, um, when we were struggling, and you know, we may still be struggling, but at least for one game, we don't look like it. Um, but when we were struggling, and, and you certainly look at the statistics that would support this, if if you agree. Obviously, missed chances were a huge part of it, but it certainly looked like central midfield was a problem. And whether it was Ramsey Flamini or Ramsey Coughlin or whatever the pairing was, it really wasn't working. And it wasn't giving the attacking players a platform to build off of. And we really weren't able to build anything up through the midfield. I thought Coughlin had arguably his best game of the entire season against Everton. And I think the Elneny-Coughlin partnership looks like it's working Um Elneny completed 89.8% of his passes, Coughlin 87% of his passes, which, you know, obviously when you're moving the ball through midfield and completing passes at a good clip, um, Coughlin was not dispossessed, had no unsuccessful touches. Elneny was not dispossessed, he had one unsuccessful touch. So by and large, they were clean with the ball, they were successful with their passes, and I really think that everything built off that platform. How do you feel about that partnership? Do you think that's a big part of the improvement? I think it's still really early um, because, specifically because what Cazorla offers in midfield is kind of an incredible package of statistics. So he's second on the team in key passes. So when you get Ramsey in there, that drops by about half. He's also second or first on the team in dribbles. He's second. And again, when you get Ramsey in there in his place, that drops by that drops by half. So what that shows you is one a player who well he gets a lot of his key passes from from set play. So I'm not gonna I'm gonna sugarcoat that, but he is a player who is collecting the ball deep and recycling the ball for the team and able to find <clears throat> um, teammates making runs in behind, whether that's his midfield partner or whether that's one of the wide forwards. So those are, that's, that's a crucial role that he plays for Arsenal. Um, and also his ability to dribble out of midfield is, is 
<clears throat> is crucial for Arsenal because we can't always break pressure by passing the ball because we're just sometimes we don't you know we're not moving enough or we're tired or we just played against Barcelona or something like that and it's difficult to to move as much um, constantly for you know seventy five games a season or whatever it is that we play these years these days um, so he him being able to break the break pressure by dribbling out of the, out of central midfield is hugely important and <clears throat> El Neni so far actually doesn't he hasn't. His stats don't show that. Now that doesn't mean he can't do it. I've seen him dribble. He he is he's he's a good dribbler, um, and he just hasn't started to pick out uh, players yet with with his passes. So he's down there pretty low in the um, key passes. Yeah, he's like last. He doesn't have any he doesn't have any key passes yet. So he hasn't made a single key pass. But he does dribble, and so it is it is nice to have him. He's also a little bit more. Um, I want to say he likes to play deeper than than Ramsey does. Ramsey is a kind of forward who kind of player midfielder who likes to play a little bit more forward, and so that gives us a little bit better balance in midfield. And you saw that with the Everton game because that was like perfect for Coquelin to. There was a perfect platform for Coquelin to shine when he's got his teammate, his midfield partner next to him, who's not leaving so much space. Coquelin then can operate in midfield, and we're playing mostly sitting back defending, you know, most of the time. Um, Coquelin can sit back and just operate, and he had some amazing stats in that game. Uh, was it nine tackles and all those, you know, it, it was pretty incredible. So Twelve interceptions. Yeah, twelve interceptions. I mean, just able to read the field and, 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 um, and step in where, where needed. So it was a perfect platform for him. And and great for Arsenal as well, you know, like in terms of uh, in terms of getting us back to <laughs> maybe a feeling of a little bit more positivity after the last couple of weeks. And I think, yeah, I I, add? go ahead, Paul. Um, I mean, a couple of things on that. I think Cockland's amazing stats are a function of the pressing the other five were able to do because he was, you know, every the guy making the pass always had so much pressure on him. Cockland knew where it was going. And the passer just had to, you know, try and squeeze it through because everybody was covered. So uh, I think it goes hand in glove. I thought the other thing I really liked about El Nenny was, uh, I agree with everything Tim says, but when he isn't racking up big numbers doing things, what he is providing is that balance. And there was an interview recently where he said something about that's that's kind of what he looks to do. He likes to find where he needs to be to to help you you know it was really about finding that pocket to sit in to help the other the other uh, teammates out and i think he did that superbly him and cockler had about the same number of passes so maybe that's not how you measure a partnership or balance but it you do get the feeling that the two of them like to play together and it kind of instead of with Cazorla where it's you know, Cock gives the ball to Cazorla for obvious reasons. Uh, these two are kind of, there's a comfort there where they can do sometimes more similar things in terms of passing. Uh, 46 and 49 passes. Um, they, it's a, You know, I remember before in a breakdown, um, Adrian Clark talking them, about them being a, a kind of a string between the two of them. I think it was him talking about it. And you get mm-hmm. that idea that you never see, you never feel with Ramsey where it's a giant elastic band between them. Uh, with these guys, you could put a 10-yard rope between them when we're out of possession, and they just kind of, they know where to be against each other, and it 
creates a gr- superb shield. Um, and then you, the one other stat that came off the breakdown, 12.5 kilometers for El Nenny. Yeah. I mean, that's, the run, that's a guy with legs who can run all game long, like Ramsey can. But is and that was his second at, game. Yeah, yeah. He had done that twice in a row in, within a week. Yeah, he was top against yeah, Barcelona, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And if you think of how Ramsey uses his legs, it's to get forward and back. With El Nenny, he didn't really get forward in a Ramsey sense. So he was using 12.5 kilometers just to keep moving around the pitch to be in the right spot all the time. That's what he's doing. Find the spot, be the counterbalance, be where he needs to be to kind of keep the balance. And I don't think we've looked a more balanced team going forwards and backwards than we did against Everton. Well, here, here's the thing that I would say about Cazorla. Sandy Cazorla is a phenomenal dribbler, and he can come deep, collect the ball for, off the center backs, beat a man, carry the ball forward, break a press, and then play a pass. But the other thing about Cazorla is I think he has a good egg timer. We were talking about eggs earlier before the pod. <laughs> egg timer in his brain about when to release the ball. And if I had one criticism of, of Ramsey as a central midfielder, I he always seems to want the extra touch. I don't feel like he moves the ball quickly enough all the time. One thing I've been impressed with El Nenny about, not, there may be a stat like this. I don't know if it exists. I'm sure somebody is tracking it at this point in time. But length of time the ball is held before a pass mm. is played. And El Nenny seems to play the ball very quickly. I felt like one of the things that was working about our game against uh, Everton in the first half is that the ball was moving very quickly. Um, and I think peak Arsene Wenger teams moved the ball quickly. One-touch passes. Players knew where their partners were going to be. They made intelligent runs. They collected and they distributed. Um, Arteta was always very good at that. And I think the ball had started to bog down for us and, and really not even move through the midfield as much as a result. And that changed. Now, Tim, the, the first goal to me was such a joy because it mm. was sort of vintage Arsenal at our best in that it came through midfield. We played in behind the back four. We worked the ball well with great vision and great movement. And it showed what happens when you get Ozil and Alexis interacting on the pitch because Ozil collects. Alexis makes an intelligent run. Ozil sh- has to take kind of a weird body shape to play the pass to him. And then Alexis very quickly spots Welbeck's run and plays it in behind him. Is that the kind of Arsenal goal that's really been missing or at least in short supply for oh, this yeah. season? Yeah, I don't <clears throat> I don't think we've had one of those since was it um Wilshire? Remember Wilshire's goal? Like the, yeah. the new ca- uh, uh, Norwich, Nor- Norwich goal. And what was <laughs> yeah. that last fall? Two, Two seasons, seasons ago? ago? Well, I mean, it feels like yeah. it. I'm I I could be wrong. I I I forget things all the time, but <clears throat> Well, the other thing I loved about it is, you know, Welbeck collects that ball pretty close to the keeper, and I think a Giroud or a Theo maybe takes it first time and smashes it into the keeper. And, and you know, Welbeck is not necessarily known as a finisher, but took tremendous composure there to collect round the keeper. And yeah, you know, his goal against United for us in the uh, FA Cup, yeah. wasn't it? Very similar kind of rounding the keeper. Yeah, except the difference there is he... he Took he took the ball away and and he was solo the whole way. Yeah. So he had a long, a, lo- a little bit of time to think about what he was going to do. He had no yeah. time to really consider. Yeah, ahead, Tim, uh, I was just going to say, you know, one of the things that's interesting about um, Arsenal is that we get a lot of our shots blocked. Uh, this is one of the reasons why we're struggling to finish is we get in close, but our shots get blocked. And then part of the reason for that is because we have to end up taking. I think some of our players have to take extra touches in and around the, in and around the keeper. If you remember Giroud in his heyday, he finishes with one touch, usually front side <laughs> near post. 
the crazy little near post finishing. He did that for, for years for us. And so mm-hmm. um, you're absolutely right. It was great to see Welbeck have that kind of composure there. Um, I'm watching the goal again. <laughs> I think we should all just sit here. I heard I heard you sneaking an extra I, I, view. I, I think we should all just sit here and watch it and then react, and that could be the rest of the podcast. We're going to add two hours on the list. I, I didn't bring my tissues into the recording. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, yeah, so he – so it was nice to see him take a little bit of extra touch, but he did that intentionally as, as opposed to a lot of times the ball will be will fall to a player right outside the six-yard box, and he'll have to take a touch to compose, to to settle the ball, an extra touch to settle the ball rather than to just to just finish first touch. Um, so we get a lot of times, we're getting a lot of our shots blocked, which is leading to a lot of our, um, our poor finishing, I think, this season. So, um, yeah, it was awesome to have the interaction, not only the interaction, but then the through ball from Alexis. And then Welbeck did exactly the right thing that time. Rather than finishing first touch, he did exactly the opposite of what I just said we should be doing. <laughs> and took a touch around the around the keeper. But that was it was it was perfectly it was it was awesome. Yeah. I'm, it was so well worked. <laughs> and I, I think the more we can get Alexis and Ozil interacting on the pitch, mm. involving each other with their movement. There was a goal, I can't remember what game it is, where actually Alexis played a through ball to Ozil, who mm-hmm. scored uh, earlier in the season. And when, you know, they are our two best players, I think it's still fair to say. And, and I think they have the best understanding of movement and passing and vision and, and arguably even finishing. And so um, the more we can get them in, involved with each other, the better. And I think that Alexis has kind of been in hibernation out on the left wing for the past couple of months and the move to get him on the right, you know, we, we, well, I shouldn't say we, I am critical of the manager at times, but I think he deserves credit for doing something to try to get Alexis out of his malaise, out of his Mm -hmm. funk. Um, The second goal is, I want to say individual brilliance, but there's actually a lot of good stuff that happens up the pitch first. There's a tackle and then a, a brilliant, the ball that, that Bellerin plays, he's got a lot of space to play it into, but it's got the right spin on it to be easy to collect from Awobi. Um, Paul, Alex Awobi showed tremendous control, composure, uh, pace, precision with his finishing there. Um, what did you make of his game overall, though, the goal and, and the rest of what you saw? Uh, yeah, I think the most important part of his game is just that he fits into that approach. Uh, He's high energy. uh, He has that nice, awkward, big physique. Um, I think what we saw, again, with that front six is, I think it was Klopp who had said that, you know, uh, turnovers or pressing is the best playmaker. And, okay, this is pressing, as in defending, starts this off. But we saw... uh, as Adrian Clark said, we, we should have beaten them by a lot more than two get goals when you look at how we played and the chances we created. Most of the chances we created up the field came from that pressure and, and uh, turnover of the ball. And he's a, natu- you know, he, he's a natural at that. Alexis is and um, Welbeck is. And the, Welbeck and Iwobi seem to like playing together. I thought the Iwobi selection was a bit Alex Ferguson back in the day because um, uh, you know you have to go back to when you saw the team selection it was pretty surprising to see him out there as it was against Barcelona um, I mean it's kind of amazing really that this kid's getting the start a- ahead of all these established players 
and uh, he just fits in star-wise. He's got that, you know, he's an absolute handful, and we see it on display. His first touch for it is great. His second touch, I think, is good. Keeps, keeps it away from the, the defender who's coming back. Uh, I think it might be Funes Mori or whoever coming back trying to uh, get to grips with him. Shields it well. Um, you know, he's a, he's a cool customer for a 19-year-old. Um, I think we've all seen 19-year-olds come and go, so he's, wasn't it his birthday? He's now 20. So, um, I mean, I think he's one of those 19-year-olds who's not a flash in the pan, but you don't know. Uh, That's so hard so to say, hard to right? Say. Yeah. I mean, we, we've, we've seen players flatter to deceive, and some of them are still you know trying. I mean, you have Oxlade Chamberlain, who looked like he was going to be an absolute world beater, who's really struggling to make his mark, and injuries have had an impact on that. Serge Nabry is another great example, and injuries certainly played a role in that as well. Um, Chuba Akpom is struggling to get playing time at Hull right now out on loan. You know, J. Emmanuel Thomas never even really made his impact on the first team, but we've seen players have little cameos that excited us um, and for one reason or another didn't make it. My concern with the Wobies game would be, as well as he took the goal and as as interesting as his footwork looks at times, he looks very tricky and clever on the ball, um, and he does seem to have a good first touch. He he had eight unsuccessful touches in the game, by far the most in the team. He was dispossessed four times, uh, tied for the most with Welbeck, although I think you could argue that a little more dangerous when a uh, winger come forward, uh, midfielder loses the ball as opposed to your center forward. And then he passed the ball at only a 78% clip, which is you know not the worst in the world, but not great. So he wasn't particularly clean with the ball in that game. And that's something that I think young players in general, one of the things I, I see, and I could be totally wrong, but something I see is the speed of their brain, their football brain, isn't as fast as the game yet. So they like to take the extra touch. Now they have tremendous talent. So often they can get away with a quick burst of pace, an extra little flick, a step over, because they're very precocious in their talent, but their brain hasn't caught up with the speed of the game yet. Um, and that leads them to hold the ball a little too long. And I think Wobie's going to have to you know, just just speed up to catch up with the pace of the game, especially when you have players like Mesut who see the pitch in nanoseconds. Um, Tim, what are your thoughts about Iwobi in terms of this game? And you know what's team? amazing about that goal is that he actually starts the run. If you remember, um, so he actually starts the whole that whole thing off. Uh, yeah, Koscielny, yeah, Koscielny, yeah. intercepts, Kokolin collects, he passes it to Iwobi, Iwobi tries to pass it to Ozil, Um but yeah, it unfortunately, away. he starts it off with a bad pass. Yeah, with, with so, so no, this pass, is my yeah. th- and it falls. It, to this Bauer. is my point: yeah. is is that he even has an unsuccessful touch in yeah. that in that possession, <laughs> and funny. and so then um and actually even more ironic, Ozil tacks, tackles the ball away to go to Bellerin. It's a crunching tackle. It's just too, a if good I tackle. It yeah, yeah, it's a good tackle. Yeah. So you see a kind of like a interesting conflation of uh, of of ideas here about stats, like. Okay, so yeah, he had eight unsuccessful touches, and yes, it is something that we see a lot with younger players as they get older. Depending on the role that they play on the team, if you play more forward, you're going to have more. If you play in the back, you're going to have less, hopefully. <laughs> if you have a center half who's got eight unsuccessful touches a game, you're you're in trouble. You've conceded quite <laughs> exactly. <a few> goals. <laughs> um, so, uh, but even in this particular play, he lost possession of that ball in a really bad area, 
but was able to make up for it through teamwork and and then also had that sort of young brain to like say hell with it i'm just gonna run and he and he did and you know a lot of times we even criticize players for trying to make those kinds of runs you know like like if 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 Bellerin hadn't collected that ball and if Awobi hadn't made that run, we wouldn't A, we wouldn't have scored that goal, but but if he had made the run and Bellerin didn't hit him with the pass, then there's all kinds of problems with the with the structure of the yeah, team. Yeah, because Bellerin could be closed exactly. down. He's got no support. If they get the ball in that position, Awobi's in the other half doing Exactly. Well. So so there's yeah. a whole <laughs> you know, it's it that's how football that's that's the beauty of football, really. I mean, honestly, is where we're you you just have these one these moments of of just sort of chaos, and out of that chaos comes a little bit of order. And Awobi makes a great play, and in the, in the end, he finishes between the keeper's legs, which is you know, <laughs> I guess that's a the announcers in the game were saying that's a new thing. I have noticed it quite a bit, but um, I, I'm never sure when someone finishes between the keeper's legs if they're just trying to hit it as safely towards the center of the goal as possible, and they've gotten lucky, or if they've actually spotted the keeper's legs open and tried to pass. I, I can't tell, but the, I, but the, I got to yeah. say, with most finishing, I don't think forwards. N- know exactly what's going to happen. They hit it. And when you hear them talking about it after a game, they'll very often say, yeah, I wanted to hit it low and hard to his left, or I wanted to hit it, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not, I wanted to do exactly how that ball went into the net. The only one I disagree with you is the curled finish. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because where they're, where they're basically trying to pass it into the corner. But I, I think it, it's an interesting way you look at it, um, Tim, because I think in general... Um, that's that's really how I saw that passage of play, which is some of the good, of, some of the bad of a Wobi, a lot of the good of a Wobi, but also just sort of the chaos and how it can fall your way. And then when the moment comes to you, to be fair to him, you have to take that moment. And even before he passes it between the keeper's legs, that's a hell of a first touch and use of his body and shielding off the defender. So I mean, there was a lot of good yeah. there. Yeah. Um. One one thing that I think is really interesting, and so so. We get the 2-0 lead. I thought the game was pretty comfortable after that. We can talk a little bit about the second half where we kind of shut up shop and decided to be very defensive, I think, in in the way we played. And and I do want to get to that, although, again, I acknowledge a lot of how you view the second half has to be through the lens of Arsenal having played at the new camp in in midweek. But really quickly before we do that, Paul, you know, I, I don't think anybody could say that Gabriel has been playing particularly well. He kept his place. It looks now like maybe that is his place. Are we seeing the passing of the torch? Is the manager deciding that Mertesacker at 31 now is going to have to start to take a back seat, and this is Gabriel's chance to lay claim to that starting role? Yeah, another one that's painful to watch, talking about people watching from the bench. Uh, I did feel from the couple of times the cameras panned to him. Um, I don't know. I, w- I was surprised again that it was uh, Gabriel that started not necessarily for this because it was this match or or tactically it just feels like this is significant um i think conversely what's significant as you said is this is probably uh, gabriel's best game in a long time i mean he was he he tamed and channeled his, his wild man um i thought he was incredibly disciplined um in his game not so clean. So I wonder, I, you know, if he keeps this up, the balance between him and Koscielny and the way they play, um, I think Per is going to find it very hard. Um, now, the question is, can he keep this up? Can he keep, the, 
can he tame that wild man? Uh, can he keep his game that clean? Again, uh, you know, we've, we've seen Juru, uh, sorry, Juru having brilliant games. We've seen Vermalen having brilliant games. Uh, you know what worries me, Paul? It's the, it's the part that, you know, you don't think about with a center back, but Per Mertesacker is our line-breaking passer mm-hmm. from the back. Um, he's not. He's an organizer from the yeah. back. He has positional awareness, even though he doesn't always show it when he takes two steps up to the halfway line and then lets someone run in behind him. But when we have to defend deep, I think he organizes in those environments. And he is a great tackler on his feet. He doesn't go to ground often, and he doesn't foul a lot. Um, with Mertesacker out of there, neither... I mean, Koscielny's not a brilliant passer. He's okay. Um, he likes to play long more often. Gabriel is is okay, but we don't have that line-breaking passer at center back. Um, and so even if Gabriel tames some of his wild man instincts, I still think you'd like to have one more technical center back who can play that pass that breaks the lines, play that pass that bypasses the the attacking line of the opposition. I don't, I don't know that we have that. And that's, yeah, that's right. That's I think it's, sorry, go ahead, Tim. Uh, I was oh. just going to say, I think, I think it's a matter of trade-offs, but this brings us a lot. And, you know, the one thing I'll, I really liked was Luke Kaku was apparently the fastest player on the pitch uh, on Saturday. And, you know, you wouldn't have known it from the way Gabriel could stay, stay with them. And of course, Kishelny. yeah, no, that he handled him really well. I was just going to say, actually, <clears throat> interestingly, Mertesacker and Gabriel have almost the exact same stats. In other words, they're both passing at 89%. They both pass around 50 passes a game. They both hit 1.9 long balls per game. Um, and in the Champions League play, actually, Gabriel is our fourth best passer. So, so he is um, exactly what you think. But he adds one other thing, which, which what I'm talking about with, when you were talking about with the, the, those long, uh, straight passes on the ground to yeah exactly passes, those yeah. those those passes are absolutely crucial to Arsenal's uh, playing style is vertical passes, and um, I think he is doing that. I, I don't think he's doing it as as well as Per Murdersacker did, but he's going to get there. The other thing that he adds that Murdersacker doesn't is Wenger likes his center backs to jump the ball and try to get the interception and get a toe on the ball. Um, Koscielny does that. Just he's, he's absolutely hands down the best in the league at doing that. But Gabriel is right there next to him in terms of the number of interceptions per game. And in that, in that game against Everton, he didn't have a whole bunch of tackles. He didn't have a whole bunch of interceptions. He only had four. But Koscielny only had five. So in terms of... In terms of the way that they played and the way that they were able to keep Lukaku quiet, it also shows in Lukaku's stats, where Lukaku only had one shot and he averages almost three a game, so you know, or more than three a game. So you 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 get a you get a sense from Lukaku's stats where he's fifty percent passing, only had twelve passes, you know, or yeah. So you can see from from Lukaku's stats that he was actually completely shut down by Gabriel, even though Gabriel didn't have a whole bunch of stats in his favor. So. Um, I think Gabriel is actually, as you said, if he calms the beast, um, if he calms the beast down, I think he's, I think he's almost actually right there at Per Mertesacker's level, which is incredible. Which is incredible to think about. Yeah, and calming the beast is a big part of it too. I mean, I think it's great to step up and and want to try to to intercept the ball, and I recognize that that's a high risk, high reward play to some extent. Um, 
the thing I, I liked about Murtisacker for a long, long time in his career is he's just an exceptional stand-up tackler. Um, you know, and we know referees love to call penalties against Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> so why give him the excuse? Um, all right, so two things I want to cover just really quickly. One, let's cover the second half generally. And I guess the way I'll do it, and I'll start with you, Paul, is just it looks to me like, and again, I want to acknowledge before anybody jumps on me about this, I fully recognize the team had to be shattered from the game at Barcelona, and so fatigue plays a role in what you decide to do. But there is a difference between having a 2-0 lead and playing a little more on the counterattack and having a 2-0 lead and completely conceding the impetus and possession and defending in a low block and soaking up pressure and breathing life back in your opposition. Both with the substitutions, which granted came a little bit later, and with the style of play, Paul, did you feel that we we went too far from being on the front foot to really just soaking up pressure and, and sitting deep? Okay, so I've noticed, like we've had this conversation on a few games, I, I think we mm-hmm. just feel differently about it. Because um, it didn't bother me at all. Um, and I, I've seen how much this stuff bothers you. And, and, well, but you, like, again, I just want to be clear. I, yeah. I think playing on the counterattack, yeah. you know, and, and, and being a little less in possession of the ball and being a little more uh, safe in your organization at the back makes sense. I, I just think that there's a difference between playing on the counterattack and just literally sitting in a low block and soaking yeah, up. Yeah, no, I know. think you're right. I think we do it in a somewhat unsophisticated manner. Um, kind of like our pressing. Uh, our pressing works. Yeah, good point. You know, it's not, I, I don't think it's scientifically optimized, but with that six, it works. Um, and I think kind of the way we we kind of drop back and absorb pressure, maybe not the most scientifically designed, optimal way of doing it. Um, it it's just kind of a team that doesn't normally do it, uh, kind of fudging it. But I think it worked pretty well. Uh, well, it did work pretty well. So uh, I I hear where you're coming from, but I didn't have that maybe the same level of anxiety watching it um, as I sense you may have. I was pretty comfortable with it. But well, the good news is Everton never looked particularly effective yeah. in attacks. So you know, I, it wasn't like I was having kittens or anything. But I, I just I think that especially you know. There is this longing for days of you or the Invincibles era when a 2-0 lead would balloon to a 5 or 6-0 beating, um, and that just doesn't seem to be our ethos now. You know, it doesn't seem to be the way we go about it. I mean, Tim, do you feel that that the approach in the second half trended towards being a little too conservative defensive or just prudent? Um, <clears throat> I think it was prudent. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean okay. we get – this is a funny thing from the fans' perspective – um, I would, I preferred the approach in the second half and like, um, Elliot, I didn't have any problem. I mean, um, Paul, Paul sorry. Yep. I didn't have any problem with the, the smart one. <laughs> and just you remember that. Can do. I didn't have any problem with it. I didn't, and I didn't even, so typically what'll happen is I can judge whether or not the team's in trouble by whether I'm getting bored. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, that's when I know that the quote unquote handbrake has been put on. And I didn't get the sense that they put the handbrake on at all in that second half. So, so there was still plenty of movement. They were still trying to get forward. They were still trying to um, create chances. And that, so that to me, you know, while also at the same time being very conservative and not getting both 
both fullbacks up and leaving all kinds of space behind for Lukaku or whoever to run into. So um, I think we did a good job in terms of just playing conservatively, and I, I didn't have a problem with it at all. That's fair. I, I mean, I, I will tell you just by anecdotal evidence, because I am not the statistician that you are, Tim, um, in the first half, Everton played 157, completed 157 mm-hmm. passes. We completed 225. In the second half, as you'd expect, given sort of the way we decided to play, uh, we completed 102 passes. Actually, that's 47th minute. Let's go all the way to actual halftime. 124 passes. They completed 235. Mm-hmm. So, obviously... Tale of two halves. <laughs> it, to, it, it was the, the game of two halves. And, and again, both because of fatigue and because we had a 2-0 lead, you know, and all of those things, I, I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with giving up ground. I just, um, you know, I, I wonder if there's more of a balance, you know, than going from outpassing them by 100 passes to being outpassed by 100 passes um, in the second half. And if you look, you know, just sort of at heat maps and things like that, you know, our most influential players in the second half were Monreal, Coughlin, and Bellerin. Um, and if you look at that, you know, that same sort of heat map for the for the first half, our most influential players were Sanchez, Ozil. You know, I've, you know, I, I, again, I'm I'm sort of um, uh, over overdoing it here. I think I think I've made my point, but I. I don't. I don't know that I necessarily had a problem with it. I also think, you know, when you then make substitutions like the bring on all the fullback right. policy, and you bring on Giroud, and and you start to take off some of your pacier players, um, the question then becomes: How are you going to effectively get out of being pinned in your own half? Um, so, go ahead. Uh, an interesting point, and not necessarily to contradict what you're saying, but it does bring up the Welbeck issue in terms of bringing on Giroud. That uh, the troubling thing we keep hearing from Wenger that they're kind of managing uh, Welbeck's knee because he's still got trouble with it um, so I hope he gets a nice easy time during the international break um, good luck with yeah, that <laughs> because you know this is, there's a couple of players uh, there's probably 11 players that are important to be on the pitch but the two I look for on the sheet are, right now are Welbeck and El Nenny with Coquelin beside them if I see, you know, if I see Welbeck through the middle and El Nenny besides Coquelin, I'm thinking, okay, this could be good. Now, who else do we have? Yeah, I, I, I will say this. I think that um, as we've reshaped our midfield, and you know, again, this is not because Ramsey got injured; it's because we've reshaped our midfield, and I think that's helped create balance and more mm-hmm. of a flow to the team in general. But it is easy to overdo it with the green shoots of recovery thing because they basically come from a draw against Spurs, a win against Everton where we played one really effective half and then looking okay in a drubbing to Barcelona. So the question then, Tim, I think that we can finish on is the one about going forward now. You'll be shocked, <clears throat> shocked to know that I don't have a ton of optimism about our title chances, but I will acknowledge that if we run the table and win all of our remaining games, that I think we can win the title that way. Um, what are your What's your appraisal of not just our chances, but what would need to happen on our side to be, to genuinely be in the title fight? Oh yeah, no, that's that's what it's going to take. You're going to have to win every single game. Um, do you, Do you see enough encouragement to? Think no, that's not doable? after one game. No. 
We still um, so up next is Watford. That's good. That's actually really good for us because I think Watford might. <clears throat> Watford's I think they're pretty safe in the league, and I think that we've got a chance here to uh, kind of give them a little bit of of uh, a payback for the FA Cup. Well, think about this. This was very, very clever, right? We intentionally lose to them in the (laughs) FA Cup so that they'll have an eye on the FA Cup when they play us in the league, and then we pound them. Crazy like a fox. fox. So then the big game for me is is the West Ham game. Um, West Ham is the the best record in the league uh, against top top third opponents, Uh, and... um, and they are going to be. That's our toughest. That's our toughest test. And and they deserve. We deserve a get back from from their early season. Yeah, opening, opening day, day <laughs> stuff. But um, I think if we if we beat them, that might actually give us that hope that you're looking for to win the league. But honestly, in the form that we're in, it would have to be like a 180 degree turn of form. So um, in the form that we're in, I have us finishing second. Uh, which is actually really good above I'd above take Tottenham. It, probably. Above Tottenham. <laughs> yeah. And Leic- Leicester winning. Uh, Tottenham is, in particular have the hardest uh, run in of any of the top three teams. So they're going to find it very difficult. They've got to they've got to play a bunch of different um, clubs who are in really great form, like Chelsea. You know, so um, so I'm I'm you know I can see us winning if we beat West Ham. I'll start to believe. How about that? Okay, I I can live with that. I think the challenge for me whenever we were discussing this, and the reason I'd written off the title is I said, look, I realize that mathematically it is possible, but this is a team that took 13 points from its last 30, and you now want me to believe (laughs) that they're going to take 27 from their next 30. Um, So that that was the – yeah, go ahead, Paul. Give me me the reason to believe. The form is irrelevant. I mean, this 11 on the pitch – you know, if we if you take the Barcelona game, uh, this game, now it's only two games, um, and you you play this eleven, and we can keep them healthy for a while. We're this is a whole new ball game. I mean, literally, no, not literally. <laughs> no, figuratively. figuratively. It is a whole. Yeah. It, is, it is. It is. Yeah, we're actually going to start playing yeah. basketball. Good, that, that good. Literally, is a whole new ball game. So, literally, this is a whole new ball game. He says, persisting with this. You know, the, this. The only question is, can you, if you can promise me that the the core elements of this team stay healthy to the end of the season, then I think we're going to come pretty damn close to going on a run of whatever eight wins in a row. The, the issue with it is that the other two teams look like they're going to go on a <laughs> run of whatever they got left, eight or seven games in a row. Um, so it's whoever blinks. And then there's a lot of luck in referee calls. I mean, they'd never go against us. So there's all the variables out there, uh, a couple of key games. But absolutely, this 11 is, you know, uh, if people want to quote statistics going back a month or two months i could give a fuck because this 11 is a different 11 <laughs> well it's a di- it's a different team yeah i mean the, the team that was dropping points in january and february yeah. you know didn't have el Nenny in it didn't have you know a wobi yeah. in it for example didn't have Welbeck in it for most of that i think my big hang up with this is the thing that that i need to see another game or two of to believe that we could do this go on this kind of run is 
can we finish enough of our chances? I mean, Danny Welbeck historically is not a clinical finisher. Maybe he's finding a wellspring of, of finishing quality that, that is going to lead us on. And maybe Alexis is just rounding into form. But the question has been for me since summer and continues to be, are there enough goals there? Because there's going to be one of these games where it's nil-nil, where it's late, where it's, you know, we've created the chances and squandered them and someone's going to have to step up and win the game. Um, and the question is whether or we, have we could start scoring first and being proactive. So, I, well, that yeah. helps. So, I yeah. I, I know um, what you're saying. I, I think I think you can get momentum. I think uh, players will come to life when you have a much more dynamic attacking front-footed. You know, I I think it all this this is a very virtuous spiral you get. Um, so I, I think we have a real shot at it if we can keep these guys healthy. Um, there's also the, um, just, go ahead, Tim. Just an interesting side side. The both of the assists for both of the goals came from the right side with Alexis and Bellerin, and both of the assistees were playing on ostensibly playing on the left side. So you had uh, Wellbeck sort of left middle, and then you had a Wobi who was supposedly lining up on the left, although he did score from the right. So yeah, his heat map shows yeah, him on the yeah, right. actually. But it's it's interesting that uh, both of the assists came from that right channel. So um, I think that's an- we've we've been overloading wide positions all year mm-hmm. long, um, and usually it's whichever position that Alexis is in yeah. to try to get him. Yeah. Working. So anyway, we, um, maybe we'll see that go forward. I don't know. Um, I tend to be a form guy, so. But I, I like Elliot's. I mean, um, Paul's. Uh, I like you guys. You guys' uh, optimism there a little bit. Paul's optimism that it's just the Delusion. players on the pitch. Delusion. It's a it's, wonderful yeah, it's just, state of mind. <laughs> hey, Paul. Guess yeah, what? This is literally the end of oh, the wow. podcast. Um, all right. So uh, first Figurative, of all, Tim. Figuratively, I'm going to interrupt and keep going. No, no. no. Yeah, it's actually figuratively the end of the podcast because I have to do the whole wrap up thing. So it's not literally. The end. Uh-huh. Anyway. Uh, you should check out Tim's blog if you don't already, which you already do. It's 7amkickoff.com, where the 7 is the number it's 7, excellent. not the word 7 spelled out. It is <laughs> fucking excellent, um, although there is another blog that owns that title. Um, and you can find 7am kickoff's work on that blog as well, ours blog, uh, where he does the excellent by the numbers Thank column. Um, there is a lot of <laughs> blog and pod um, incest, uh, adultery, however you want to look at incest. it, um, that goes on. The Arsenal world. In any event, Tim, uh, I will let you get back to your chickens, and I thoroughly appreciate you taking the time this early morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, it was actually, uh, the pleasure was all ours, I'm sure. Uh, Paul can be found where he's always found, pausing in my pants, on Twitter, the occasional blog that he writes, and probably, I don't know, running around your town in an overcoat exposing himself. It's just my guess. Thanks, Paul. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Elliot. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Paul. Paul is currently in uh, Las Vegas at 7 a.m. Vegas time, so you can only imagine how he's feeling. My name is Elliot Smith. Please block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I assure you it will be in your best interest. And I want to thank everybody who's reviewed the podcast. If you haven't, the best thing you can do is you go and you give it a five-star review because that gets a lot of attention. Then you can write tons of nasty shit in the actual description. Works great. In any event, uh, once again, we want to thank you for listening. We now have two weeks for all our players to get injured, so this 11 that Paul's so excited about can be ripped up and started over again. We will talk to you after the Watford game. Cheers. Cheers.